not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Good day, everyone. Welcome again to another edition of Boomer Generation Radio. This is your host, Richard Address, and we're coming to you again from the studios of WWDB AM 860 here in Greater Philadelphia and streaming live on WWDBAM.com. And a reminder, as we do every week, that you can reach us at BoomerGenerationRadio at gmail.com or like us on the Boomer Generation Radio Facebook page. And all of our shows are archived on the website www.JewishSacredAging.com. We'll be right back with our first segment, our actually our very, very honored guest here, Dr. Dan Gottlieb, uh, world-famous raconteur, psychologist, radio talk show host, and reluctant Phillies fan. And we'll do that right after these words from our friends at Kendall. Hi, this is Kendall staff member Sheila Sylvester. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio was brought to you by Kendall, a system of not-for-profit communities and services in eight states that advocates for and empowers older adults to reach their full potential. Please join us in Together Transforming the Experience of Aging. To learn more about Kendall, that's K-E-N-D-A-L, visit discoverkendall.org or call toll-free 888 888- Welcome back to today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio, and uh, it is with uh, great pleasure and honor that we welcome to our uh, microphones and show Dr. Dan Gottlieb. Dan, are you there? I am here, Richard. Thanks so much for inviting me. How are you doing today? Today I'm fine. Good. Good. Healthy and happy. I'm looking out my window at some glorious greenery. Yes, yes, you do. In, in beautiful, bucolic Cherry Hill, New Jersey. <laughs> We're with Dr. Dan Gottlieb, uh, psychologist, author, uh, radio talk show host, uh, familiar to many of the people in the Delaware Valley and probably around the country uh, from his long-running show on WHYY, Voices in the Family, and uh, soon to be awarded the, the um, Dr. Emily Hartshorn Mudd Award um from the Council for Family Relationships, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. So um, what we want to talk about today, we have the hour, and we can sort of like meander around a few things. We we promised each other we won't talk about sports because um, that would be a very short conversation. The um, is really our own generation, the baby boom generation, and uh, especially the first stage of the baby boomers, people in their 60s now really walking hesitantly or sometimes uh, reluctantly um, or sometimes in denial into our 70s, which is really beginning to happen now. So first of all, Dan, thank you very much for your time uh, in joining us. The... the um, I want to get right to one question, a, a, a subject that you wrote about in a absolutely wonderful article many years ago from the um, Quaker, I, I forget the name of the journal, but you talk about the power and importance of love in basically where we are in our life. Could you just elaborate on that? Why, and you, you, you spend a lot of time on that in, in your writings and your books and your lectures, which I know I've, I've heard some. The power of love. What is it? Well, you know, that song was right. I think it was in Les Mis or Phantom, Love Changes Everything. And and it really does. I mean, love lost, 
love broken, love acquired. Um, it changes everything. And, and there's a study many years ago, Harvard had a uh, program, I don't know if they still do, where they studied centennials, people who lived to 100 years old, and, and they were looking for what they had in common, and it certainly wasn't diet or exercise. None of them were very interested in any of those things. But one thing they all had in common is they had an attractive personality. They had the kind of personality that drew people to them. So what could that be? It could be love. It could be compassion. It could be curiosity. And I tell people, if you want well-being in your life, approach everybody with a curious mind and an open heart. And I think that's what we were seeing with these centennials. So we can dicker with, with the word love, mm -hmm. but, but it's this open-heartedness, it's this shared humanity that changes our lives. The I know the George Valen study of, of Harvard, the longevity study for people from who graduated Harvard, I think in the 30s, um, they've been tracking this this group of people uh, up until quite recently. There's been several books and um, many articles written about it. And again, it, it seems to be that the successful people, uh, as as they reflect upon decades of life, again point to the power of personal relationships, uh, being in community, society. Love in the sense of not necessarily romantic love, but the sense of intimacy with other human beings. If someone does not have that personality trait, can they learn that even at a later age, or is that just programmed into them? Uh, I'll tell you what's programmed into them. And it's, it's apropos my last book, is the, called The Wisdom We're Born With. Look at any infant. You know, they, they smile, they're happy, they're loving. They um, produce love in the observer. You watch a child uh, being carried in his mother's arms. Uh, you just, your heart opens up automatically. Mm -hmm. But they invite love. It's a physiologic response. So that's what we're born with, Rich. We're born with love. We're born with compassion. We're born with faith. Yes, well, there's been enough new research and, and recent research on the fact that we are born with this capacity for spirituality. And it's like that South Pacific song, I guess, that you have to be taught to hate. I guess you, you have to be taught to repress that sense of love, compassion, faith, um, which is one of the sad commentaries, I guess, on, on, and you see this, I'm sure, as other mental health professionals, and I know clergy, uh, see this in their offices, uh, that what once was no longer exists, and as you peel back the layers of a family dynamic, a lot of times you can reach that opportunity and that person, that, that point where that, lay, where, where that was repressed. And I'm sure you see this in your office. I do. I see it all the time, but my, you know, you talk about faith, Rich. Um, I have this deep abiding faith that it's in there. And it's just a question of nurturing it. Not 
hammering away at what's wrong. When, nurturing it. The it is. You know, my daughter was uh, in crisis twenty years ago, mm-hmm. and you know she was in college, and she said to me, she said, "Daddy, I feel like I am a diamond inside a malignant tumor. Right. I don't know what's going to happen." Hmm. Okay, so here I am, a father, a male with testosterone and a mental health professional, and I do everything I can to attack that tumor. We had her therapized, medicated, hospitalized. We did all the right thing to attack that tumor. And you know what ultimately saved her? It was the diamond itself that destroyed the tumor. Mm -hmm. Not from the outside, it's from the inside. And there's my deepest abiding faith that it's in there i've never met someone where i didn't see it and feel it's in there so it's a question of nurturing it it's a question of making someone safe enough to let go it's a question of helping somebody understand that their thoughts are just thoughts. They're just electrical impulses in their brain, and they're not the Word of God. You're right. That the only truth we know is what we experience this moment. You wrote um, a chapter in a book uh, called, the, the chapter was called, I Broke My Neck and My Soul Began to Breathe. Yeah. Can you walk us through that? That's a rather interesting and I guess some would say provocative chapter title. Yeah, I, I did uh, last year. I did a TED talk. Right. That too. So here's the deal, Rich. I, I you know, I'm, I'm a little kid in Atlantic City, New Jersey, where I grew up. It's the '50s, and I started to fail at school. As early as third grade, uh, and it got worse in fourth and fifth grade. And back then, there was no learning disability, so I was either lazy or dumb. And I knew I wasn't lazy. I was working as hard as I could. I just assumed I wasn't very bright. So here I am, vulnerable, insecure. I had already started to lie to my friends about my grades. I'm filled with shame. I meet my seventh grade teacher who I idolized, you know, the scout leader. I mean, he was everything my father was. My father was a very sweet man. This guy was a big, strong guy. I idolized him. And he was the first adult who really believed in me. And by the way, he introduced me to psychology. And, you know, I would follow this man anywhere. And unfortunately, I did. He invited me to join a secret club. And that secret club was one-on-one in his house with the shades drawn. And I found myself completely undressed in his bed. Um, More shame, Rich. More to hide. uh, More to fear. And that's how I approached the next decade, two decades, that there was something wrong with me, 
and that if people only knew, I mean, I was doing well in my career. Mm-hmm. You know, always if people really knew, they would run away from me. That was my thinking. And then in 1979, I'm in this horrific car accident, and I break my neck. I'm a quadriplegic. I can't move from my from my clavicle down or feel. And it got worse. You know, now I'm broken on the outside and I'm broken on the inside. And all I wanted to do was die. I didn't even think I deserved to live. And then there was one evening, Rich, um, where a nurse came up to me and asked if I would just listen to her. She was having a problem. And it was a serious problem. And for once, it was just about her. It was almost as though I could feel her emotions. I was out of my head and my rumination. And I was just with her. And at the end, she thanked me. I referred her to a therapist. And then I said to myself, I can live with this. Knowing that I could help another human being, broken as I was on the inside and outside, knowing I could help another human being, changed my life. We're speaking with Dr. Dan Gottlieb. Uh, You can reach Dr. Gottlieb and really actually download that TED Talk that he's talking about on his website, drdangottlieb.com. And we'll be back with Dr. Gottlieb right after this word from our friends down the street at Kendall. Hi, this is Kendall resident Harry Hammond. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall. Founded on Quaker principles, Kendall provides independent living, assisted living, memory support, skilled nursing and rehabilitation care for older adults in eight states. Whether you're looking for the intellectual and cultural stimulation of a college town or a big city, Kendall has a community for you. We are together transforming the experience of aging. To learn more, visit Kendall.org or call toll-free 888-759-0128. Welcome back to today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio. Uh, here coming to you from the studios of WWDB AM 860 here in Greater Philadelphia. And we are streaming live all over the known universe at www.dvam.com. And we're speaking with Dr. Dan Gottlieb, uh, psychologist, author, radio talk show host, speaker on a variety of issues, mental health professional, spirituality, etc. And talking a little bit about some of those issues that may, that, that really some of us in our generation, as we walk through our generation and begin to ourselves age, perhaps think about. Um, Dan, uh, other than the website, drdangottlieb.com, if somebody wants to get a hold of the books, etc., uh, are they all on Amazon, or is there a specific place to go? No, they're they're all on Amazon, and they're all listed on my on my web page. Um, so they're they're pretty easy to find. You can go to Amazon and just type in my name. Uh, Dan, do you believe in angels? No. Is that, Why, yeah. Well, I, I, because um, I know we we've sometimes, and, and, you know, in full disclosure, we, we we were friends. So 
we we've had this conversation, and I know the conversation with the person in the hospital after your accident, and um, it just occurred to me listening to you and, j- and just thinking about this just this morning in, in our conversation uh, that angels may arrive in our lives in ways that we don't necessarily conceive of them vis-a-vis the Hollywood image. So that's why I'm asking you. Well, here's here's my belief. You know, a, a few years ago, gee, six now, it was the 30th anniversary of my accident. And I met my girlfriend. We were at coffee. And she said to me, what's it like, Dad? And I just started to cry and cry in gratitude to think of all the things that had to take place for me to get to that Starbucks that day. And at the time I was driving myself, Mm -hmm. all of the things that had to take place, all of the little pieces of good fortune, thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions. And I am in awe about how lucky I am, what great good fortune I've had to get me to this place, with this body, in this life, talking to you about this subject. So let's talk, go ahead, I'm sorry, go ahead. It's great good fortune, and I could weep with gratitude. So let's talk a little bit about gratitude, especially people who, as we begin to ourselves age, and there's a tendency sometimes to look back. Uh, there's a tendency for many people sometimes to look back with regret, uh, you know, to live in the land of woulda, shoulda, coulda. And, and yet, and yet, um, we keep reading and, and your own life testimony is to say, uh, uh, of saying, just be grateful. There's a sense of gratitude. Talk to me about the importance of gratitude as we begin to age. Well, I mean, gratitude changes our lives also. I had I had a man here years ago. He had been depressed and spiritually malnourished for years. He'd been in therapy. He'd you know done everything, spoken with clergy, been medicated. And I told him to go out between this session and next and find five things every day to be grateful for. But not just to put them on a list, to stop for two full minutes and feel gratitude in his body. And then the next week it was 10 a day. So here's what happens, Rich. Mm -hmm. We actually change the wiring in our brain. Neurologists say that that, uh, neurons that fire together, wire together. So everything's a habit. Even remorse and regret and looking at the dark side of things. It's habitual thinking that gets hardwired into our brain. There's actually pathways that way. And the way through it is to create new neural pathways. Gratitude is one way. It's conditioning yourself to experience joy over and over and over again. And after a while, that gets hardwired in. 
So in my case, Rich, I, I have really lowered the bar on on what makes me grateful. Honest to God, I get into bed at night. If my catheter didn't, didn't leak that day, I'm a happy boy. <laughs> So it is possible then, uh, as we're beginning to see in studies, that age is irrelevant as opposed to rewiring, rewiring one's own perception of life. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the Dalai Lama says it very simply. He said, we all suffer and we all want happiness. So, I mean, what is this happiness thing? You know, it's it's... It's a sense of well-being inside. It's a sense of being comfortable inside your skin. It's having a good relationship with your body, with yourself, about feeling kind towards this body that's carried us this far despite all of the troubles and all of the abuse. It's feeling grateful for this body that enables us to show up every day. This the, 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 the bodily perception. This came up in a conversation. In fact, I, you were you were you were present at this conversation a couple of weeks ago, and it struck me, um, especially given the media and the United States uh, obsession with youth, um, and that is at one point. At what point do do we become accepting, in a positive way, of our own bodily changes? You know, we're not 40 anymore. We're not 30 anymore. Our bodies are changing. Um, those wrinkles are there. And, you know, we may be able to get down the first baseline as quickly as we used to, if at all. And talk to me a little bit about this, this sense of accepting, not as accepting who we are and or the stage of our bodies, not accepting in the sense of defeat, but accepting in the sense of being grateful that, that we're here. Yeah, it's... Um it's kindness, you know, towards this body that has carried you so far. I don't. The word acceptance makes me squirrely because you know people say about my disability, you know, well you must have accepted it. I, I don't. I don't know what that means. It's a pain in the butt. So can it be a pain in the butt? And you've I, I don't know. But it's 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 this sense of kindness and compassion for this body. Listen, Rich, I have lived with this body, um, well, this broken body, for 36 years. And over the last two years, it's gotten worse. I've gotten more fragile, more vulnerable, more at risk, less coordinated. You you know. Right, right, right. And my primary emotion about that is sadness. It's not anger. It's not shame. It's sadness. Because I love this life. I love having a life. I love almost everything about it. I mean, that's why we fight against death. Because we love living. Yeah, we're afraid of death. But we love 
having a life, and most of us are not in touch with that. Well, you write in in one of your books, Letters to Sam, uh, Sam is your grandson. Um, you write in that book on a chapter called A Lesson in Dying. You address this beautifully to your grandson and say, one day you will die, and the more you enjoy your life, the less you will want this to happen. But death is not your enemy. Knowing that your life has an end point will help you appreciate every moment you're alive. Death helps you understand life's precious gifts. Dan, how do we how do we teach people to do that? Because the society and everything seems to just counter that fear, fear death. I mean, as opposed to this will teach you to value just uh, like you said, just sitting and looking at the beautiful greenery at your home and just enjoying this moment. There's a, a point, and I've obviously counseled people who have been through catastrophic events in their lives, physically and emotionally. And those who do well inevitably reach a point where they say in so many words, okay, what now? And that's when life changes. Okay, this is my life. My death is closer than I want it to be. This is my body now. Okay, what now? What am I going to do tomorrow and the next day? Not to avoid death, but how am I going to live tomorrow and the next day? Say you've only got a week. How are you going to live? And my guess is it's going to be more about love, gratitude, and appreciation. But that doesn't happen without that what now. You know, Rich, when I first started um, studying meditation some 20-plus years ago now, in my class there was a woman who had stage 3 breast cancer, and it was terminal. And I asked her during one of our breaks, you know, why is she learning this now, giving everything that's going on? And she said to me, Dan, she said, all my life, wherever I was, I was always somewhere else. And in the few months I may have left, I want to be where I am. I want to experience my life and not think about it, fear it, avoid it. I want to just experience my life. Even if it's an awful day, I want to experience it fully because it might be my last. And that's what I invite all of us to do. Just experience your life, even if it's awful. You know, we have an expression in our tradition um, from one of the classic texts, which is repent one day before you die, to which the rabbis would say, well, how do you know what that day is? And the answer is, well, you don't. So therefore, every single day, every single moment, live it to its fullest. Take from it, you know, just take the life from it and enjoy it and embrace it because you don't know. And I, and, and I remember reading that text as a, as a student, you know, in my 20s and not really understanding the profoundness of it. But as you expressed it much better than I could, Dan, the idea of 
just celebrate celebrating which is a word i like celebrating life and celebrating every moment uh, we're speaking with Dr. Dan Gottlieb, a psychologist, author, radio talk show host, uh, award winner, TED Talk participant. Uh, his website is drdangottlieb.com. We'll be back with Dr. Gottlieb. Uh, we just want to mention a few very good friends of the show here uh, as we move into the second half hour. And a reminder of the Hecht Investment Group of Johnny Montgomery Scott. Uh, which provides concierge financial consulting and planning services. Uh, Peter and his group use a formal investment process as their foundation, and clients receive, as we've told you many times, a written plan as well as frequent communication and rapid response to all of your inquiries. And especially in today's rather volatile, changing financial environment, there are few needs greater than our own. Uh, when it comes to this subject. Um, additionally, the HECT investment team uh, can assist you in connecting with Johnny's investment banking department, which specializes in assisting middle market companies ach- achieve their strategic goals. And uh, during this uh, year, in fact, coming up in a couple of weeks on the 14th of June, uh, the HECT investment group is going to be sponsoring a series of workshops. The first one, actually, Dan Gottlieb will be moderating that on June 14th. I think it's the 14th. Um, on end-of-life issues and some of the spiritual and financial issues that appropriate uh, accompany that. Other forums are planned on um, Social Security and personal cyber security. And in fact, as a commercial uh, a reminder, Peter will be on the show uh, 1030 segment next week to talk about some of this. And we invite you to call the Hecht Investment Group at 856-291-5028. That's 856-291-5028 or toll free at 855-289-2168. That's 855-289-2168. Ask for John Connors for more information. And a reminder that the Hecht Investment Group is also on Twitter, LinkedIn, and on Facebook. And Johnny Montgomery Scott is a member of the New York Stock Exchange, FINRA, and the SIPC. And another reminder from our very good friends at Samaritan, um, have you or someone you love been battling serious illness or perhaps you know someone right now who is and maybe your treatments or their treatments are not working so well or their side effects are outweighing their benefits. This isn't the time to give up hope. It's the time to call Samaritan Healthcare and Hospice for the help you need to live each day to the fullest. Samaritan's expert staff specializes in what matters most at this precious time, comfort from your pain, symptoms and anxiety, emotional and spiritual support right where you live, and dignity because you matter every day of your life. We invite you to talk to Samaritan today because it's tough to get helpful answers if you are afraid to ask the questions. Think you can't afford this type of comprehensive care? No worries, because Samaritan's hospice services are fully covered by Medicare, Medicaid, and most insurance. To get comfort, support, and dignity that you deserve, we invite you to call Samaritan today at 800-229-8183. That's 800-229-8183. That's Samaritan Healthcare and Hospice located in southern New Jersey. We'll be back with Dr. Dan Gottlieb in our second half hour right after this message again from our friends at Kendall. Hi, this is Kendall staff member Sheila Sylvester. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall. 
Founded on Quaker principles, Kendall provides independent living, assisted living, memory support, skilled nursing, and rehabilitation care for older adults in eight states. Whether you're looking for the intellectual and cultural stimulation of a college town or a big city, Kendall has a community for you. We are together transforming the experience of aging. To learn more, visit Kendall.org or call toll-free 888-759-0128. Welcome back to today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio, coming to you from the beautiful studios, the sun-splashed today studios of WWDB AM860 here in Greater Philadelphia, and again, streaming live all over the universe at WWDBAM.com. You can reach us again at Boomer Generation Radio at gmail.com or like us on the Facebook page. And a reminder that the shows are archived at my website, www.jewishsacredaging.com. And we're speaking with Dr. Dan Gottlieb and his website, again, uh, drdangottlieb.com. You can... Download his TED Talk that we were just talking about, the books uh, that he's authored, information always on Amazon.com. Uh, Dan, we, t- we talked a little bit about gratitude and the power of love. I'd like to ask you, because this is, again, something comes up as we begin to reevaluate our lives, and that's the power of forgiveness. And sometimes that um, can be very liberating, but we've also known people as they get a little older, they just can't let go of stuff and that stuff just just wreaks havoc emotionally spiritually and physically talk to me a little bit about forgiveness yeah i remember my mother as she aged and um she deteriorated cognitively but as 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 she aged she couldn't remember anything except for the people she was (laughs) off and you know talk about being in the hell realm um, yeah, she had trouble letting go. But here, here's what happens. Uh, first, you know, I just did a, a four-week seminar workshop on this, on forgiveness. First, we have to seek forgiveness from all the people we've hurt and help them understand that we did what we did based on where we were on the time, at the time, what we knew at the time, what we were feeling at that moment, and our genetics. Please forgive me for what I've done to harm you, because this is why I've done it. Just because of my humanity at that moment, I've harmed you. And then, and this is the hardest, perhaps, is forgiving ourselves for all the harm we've done to ourselves and continue to do by, by bad foods, by lack of sleep, by self-criticism, self-loathing, all the harm we've done to ourselves all these years. Seek forgiveness ourselves that our decisions are based on our genetics, our thinking, our wiring about what's important, what we should do, our misguided ideas, our humanity. And as a result of that, 
We've harmed ourselves in so many ways. And finally, since we're talking about humanity, the people who have harmed us, and they've harmed us for the same reason, based on their humanity, their genetics, where they were at the moment, what was happening in their lives, their emotions at that moment, as a result of all those factors, they have harmed us. And can we forgive them? Not condone what they've done, but forgive them. Let go, because what they've done, they've done based on their own humanity at that very moment, including experiencing hatred or revenge or whatever those dark emotions are. That's because of their wiring, and they have harmed you. But let's get real. That's really tough to do, isn't it? To really for not only people who have hurt us, but down deep inside when the layers get peeled back to really forgive our own self. Don't we rationalize a lot of this stuff out? Yeah, we do. Yeah. We always do. I did this because, and I did, I did this because. It's tough to hold the. It's tough to stand in front of the mirror and look at the mirror and have a conversation with yourself, isn't it? Well, here's what I recommend to many of my patients, Rich: literally go look in the mirror and look deeply in the eyes of that person that's looking back at you. See that man or woman when they were a child, innocent and happy may have been lonely or alone, a child who needed care and love and understanding, who wanted to do the right thing, that adolescent, that young man or woman, good people, good people who tried to do the right thing, yes, screwed up a lot. And now who you are at this moment, it's the same person. So can you view that person looking back at you with the same kindness and compassion you might have felt about that child who was four or five years old that you just looked at? It's the same person. Look deeply in those eyes until you can see your soul. And they'll open your heart and say thank you. But is it the same person, Dan? I mean, we keep hearing, you know, I'm, I'm not the same person I was when I was 20 or 30 or 40. Or is that same person the facade of the self, the facade of the self and the true soul, which is often buried deep, deep, deep under the years? Does that ever that what I'm hearing you say is that true self never changes? Is that correct? No, it doesn't. I mean, you know, look, I'm a, next week I'm going to turn 70. And when I was five years old, I was a sweet, kind, insecure guy, kid, um, who liked to play games, who was good. That's who I am now. You know, I'm sure the externals have changed dramatically. Mm -hmm. But 
I look deep inside. And that's who I am. That's who I am. And by the way, when I was five, six, ten, I had faith. I had faith that everything would somehow be okay. And today, I have faith that there's something inside of me that will be with me no matter what. That gives me solace. And, I'm no different. And peace, I would imagine. A certain sense of peace. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm no different than I was back then. I'm still, I'm still insecure. You know, I, I still... And playful. I'm still kind and loving. I'm still, you know, a pain in the butt to many people. <laughs> but I digress. But this insecure, I mean, you, you write also in one of the books, uh, um, uh, in a chapter called Sex Lies and What It Means to Be a Man. Um, this, you, you write, quote, I'm not sure why, but I think it's in the nature of men that we have to pretend to know things. If there's something we don't know, we try to fake it. Um, I have a funny feeling that's not only about men anymore. It's it's really part of the human condition. Uh, yeah. We, 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 we try to fake it a lot. And you know what a, a woman once told me in my office? She said, most women just want to see a man behind his mask. And that's what gave me the imagery of the title of that chapter in that TED Talk. I broke my neck and my soul began to breathe. It's as though my mask shattered forever. I could no longer pretend I wasn't vulnerable and fragile. I couldn't pretend anymore that, that I was scared and insecure or, or that I was dependent, that I needed help. I couldn't pretend that anymore. You know, Rich, we all metaphorically pee in our pants, and I do it literally. <laughs> Most people can pretend it doesn't happen. I can't. Right. I am completely vulnerable. I don't have the strength to hide anymore. And my experience with being that naked is that it's easier to love and be loved. Is that stripping away, uh, so to speak, of all the masks, a benefit of getting a little older? We have a sense of being able to say or learn what really is important and not to play games anymore and not to be afraid to be vulnerable to other people? One, one hopes if... We could only get past the shame of aging that's been in our culture for, I don't know, decades. Forever. At least. At least in our culture, in the American culture. It's the shame. And if we can get past the shame, I hope we can get comfortable with our vulnerability. Because I'll tell you this, and this is my truth, and it's a deeply held belief. That without vulnerability, there can be no intimacy. And without intimacy, there cannot be love. It can't happen. You can't 
wear a mask and experience the love of another person. Can't. Doesn't penetrate the mask. And how many of us have said, they say they love me, but if they only knew? Yeah, that's that's the it, that's that mask, that's that facade, and um, you know, let me let me ask you a question here also that that sort of like hovers around some of the conversation we've had, and especially it is a lot of conversation about the concept of meaning as we get older and the search for meaning, and it's it's almost becoming a cliche now. Is there a difference, Dan, from your perspective and your and your soul between happiness and meaning? Because these are two words that get bandied about an awful lot. Oh, it's an interesting question. I really I really don't know. See what comes to mind when you raise that question is a book that um David Brooks wrote a couple of years ago, the New York Times right. column. And, and, you know, you might have mentioned this on the show, but he talked about two kinds of resume. And, and one was the resume we all know, you know, or your, everything you've done and accomplished. But he says there's another kind of resume that you want to build. And that's the resume that people read at your funeral. And what do you want them to say about you at your funeral? And that's the resume we need to build. And what is it we want them to say? A good father, husband, son, in, in our case, a loving person who tried to make the world a better place? And I would think most of us would would want our resume to be read like that at our funeral. Yeah. So, um, Go ahead. You know, cult- cultivate kindness. The the all the funerals I've done um, since I was ordained many many years ago, it, it struck me in thinking about this a, a year or so ago that with the exception of one funeral that I that I had to officiate at when I was a rookie rabbi all the way in the wilds of Los Angeles in the 1970s, which was a different world altogether. Um, yeah. No one ever got up to give a eulogy and extolled the materialism of the departed. No one. Okay. Uh, they always expressed the, that those sense, those intimate moments, you know, the, the hug, the kiss, the smile, the trip, the smell of grandma's house when we walked in for Thanksgiving or a holiday, um, the little, you know, traditions that develop within families. Those are the things that, um, that, uh, people take with them. And, that's a tough lesson, though, to uh, especially in a materialistic world where happiness is usually equated with material possessions. You know, it's that old uh, bumper sticker that used to be around: "He who dies with the most toys wins." Um, you know, it, it, it's it's tough, and that's why I ask you that question about happiness and meaning, because so much of our generation um, is now searching for something there's a there many of us many many people have a material sense of security uh to a point but 
I'm sure you see it in your office because I know clergy see it in their offices, but there, I want to do something else. There's something missing in my life. I have enough material things, but there's something I need else to do. There's something else I need, that sense of whatever it is, whatever it is. And that's what is, is interesting to me, I think, as a lot of our generation begins to confront their own mortality. Um, what to put it in your terms, like you just said, what will that eulogy be like? What are they really, what am I going to really, what is, what are those grandchildren going to take with them into the future? Right. Exactly. Um, you know, when, when people, you know, feel this, um, urgency to find meaning in their life or to find what's missing inside, you know, I, I quote from my first um, psychotherapy mentor, uh, my grandmother. Yes. And and she would say, rest, Tatala. <laughs> you know, and, and that's the deal. Just rest for a minute. Just rest. Don't do anything. Just rest and experience your life. There's no urgency here. Just rest experience this your ticket's been punched you've paid your dues now just rest and see what comes to you you don't have to grasp anymore rest and see what comes to you and in the interim be kind be curious about others and about yourself now if you can live your life with a question in your mind What's it like to be you? What does it look like, the world look like, through your eyes? If you can live your life being that curious, even about your loved ones who you think you know, but you don't know their internal experience, if you can live your life with that kind of curiosity and kindness, you'll be happy. You'll find you'll find well-being, and that's the wellspring of of joy, of interest, of ideas, of creativity. It doesn't come from grasping. Only yeah. suffering comes from grasping. I know so many of our our generation who get off the treadmill, so to speak, of acquisition and status and, and acquiring things. Um, and rest, but not you know, not rest in the sense of do nothing, but really let the world come to them and uh, achieve a level of peace and comfort and and happiness of, that's that's very very beautiful, and are not bore. I mean, they're very out doing things, they're busy, they're contributing to the world, but from a very very different perspective. And I think, like you said, I paid my dues. I don't have to prove myself anymore. You know. Now this is my time to really do something, which leads me to because um, you mentioned this before, and I want to explore this a little bit with you because I think it's be- I know it's becoming a little not a little it's becoming more popular in conversation and practice amongst uh, baby boomers as we get a little older. What's the power of meditation, Dan? Well, I, you know, there's there's libraries you can fill with research. Uh, about the the effects of meditation. I mean, what the definite the 
quick and dirty definition of mindfulness meditation is experiencing your life moment by moment without judgment. Sounds simple. It takes a couple of lifetimes to get there. Right. But, but meditation teaches, rewires your brain to simply be present. You sit there for a half hour doing the exercises you learned to do. And what you do over that half hour, your mind takes over and you have thinking activity. Maybe 50 times, more than that, 100, 200 times. But every time you do it, you gently let go and come back to the present moment. And every time you let go of your thoughts and come back to the moment, or your emotions and come back to the moment, you're rewiring your brain. You're teaching your brain to be present, to have less um, value in their thoughts, to not let locked in to your thoughts or your emotions, knowing that there really are no emergencies, that you always have a moment to reflect, that, and that your thoughts are very often, you know, flotsam and jetsam or, or like clouds in the sky. You know, you stare at one and it changes or it goes away. And uh, that, that's what our thoughts are, basically. I think there's a perception sometimes that I've talked to people about meditation and um, that I, I'm not able to concentrate. I, I, if I don't, like there's a goal, that, that almost like there has to be a goal of the process itself other than just being in the moment and in the process. And if you don't think the great thoughts or reach some sort of um, profound intellectual understanding of self, then it's not worth it. But that's not true, is it? It's just... The no, practice. it's quite the opposite. Right. We're not looking for big thoughts. We're just looking to experience your life. That's all. Just experience your life as it is. Like that woman I talked about early in the show who was, who was dying of cancer, talked about meditation, who said, I, in the time I have left, I just want to be where I am and not lost inside my head. You know, I practice outside sometimes my, my meditation. And when I'm in that moment, when I'm experiencing my life, I can feel the air, mm -hmm. I can smell the smells outside, I can hear the birds, and the moment I get lost inside my head, that all goes away. All I can experience are my thoughts. Um, we only have a couple of minutes left in this segment. Um, Dan, from your perspective, your life, your practice, your talks, your own neshama, your own soul, what are people mostly afraid of? Well, what they say is um, being disabled. Uh, or, of course, we didn't get to talk about it, you know, losing their mind, right. losing their cognitive ability. Um, and death. You know, it's, it's those three things, but, you know, the, the common uh, verb there is loss, mm -hmm. loss, loss. And, uh, you know, we're afraid of, of, we're afraid of loss. But, uh, you know, you look back over the course of all of our lives, you know, we have lost and lost and lost over and over and over again. And, 
we've recovered every time um, and learned to live with the loss. And it's my fervent belief, Rich, that the last thing to go is love, that we hold that, that stays inside of us until the last moment. Um, that's my belief. It's my faith. Um, it may or may not be true, but that's my faith. We've been speaking with Dr. Dan Gottlieb, uh, psychologist, author, radio talk show host, TED Talk participant, award winner. Um, on a whole, you didn't mention Bon Vivant. Well, you know, I, I didn't mention Bon Vivant because I know you're humble, and uh, I don't want to, you know, give people the wrong impression. I, but you are a raconteur of rare of rare vintage. <laughs> <laughs> to mix yeah. to mix a little metaphor. Um, yeah. So drdangottlieb.com, and uh, that's the website. The book's available on Amazon. And, uh, Dan, I want to thank you very much for your time, uh, your friendship, your love, your expertise, and just being you. And I'll see you soon, I hope. Thank you very much to all of you. Thank you for joining us. See you next Tuesday. Have a great week. Stay safe. Stay safe.